Thanks for listening to our podcast. Peterson Toyota is your local Toyota dealer serving Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, Tinmouth, and the surrounding communities, and has been doing so for more than 50 years. Not only will you find the latest Toyota models at Peterson, you'll also find a friendly and accommodating staff eager to assist you. They'll offer you first-class service, whether it be a service appointment, help picking out the right part for your Toyota, or test driving a new or pre-owned vehicle. If your heart is set on a new Toyota, they've got you covered. Check out Peterson's selection of affordable Toyota models. Take one for a spin. Let their staff help you find the one that's right for you, all at a competitive price and financing. Peterson strives to be the best in everything they do, and they will take care of you. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Canalamessa, joined by my good friend, Michael Rowe. And today we've got CCU Athletic Director Joe Parker on board for his monthly conversation with us. Joe, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Mike is your good friend. I feel a little bit slighted and left out, Joel, but I understand. You're my good friend, too. But but if I say that, I'm going to get... I'm going to be called a bootlicker and I'm going to be uh, shited all over social media. So uh, well, let's keep it professional today. Because they gave us <laughs> some awards, right? Should we start over then? <laughs> it's all right. It's totally fine. <laughs> we we know what we signed up for here. So, uh, Joe, we were just kind of talking off the air, but uh, exciting that the women have a WNIT game tonight against Northern Iowa recording this Thursday, March 16th. So tip off at 5 p.m., I guess, Mountain Time. Um, they will uh, face – who Who are they playing tonight, Nebraska or Missouri State? You and I. They're playing you and I, and then the winner of that would play Nebraska, Missouri State. Nebraska. That's right. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. You and I, um, you are not in Cedar Falls. But how's uh, – what's uh, Coach Williams thinking about this tournament? I know it's – um. It's not the NCAA tournament, but what are the expectations for this? Just to kind of reward the players for a, a good season, get them some more playing time, more games, and um, hopefully win some win some ball games. Yeah, I think it's all the above. You know, last year we made the decision to play, and I think at that point it was um, you know really more directly associated with the opportunity to continue to develop the team. Um, you know, he, he felt there was still growth to be had over last season. And so just more opportunities to play. And, and obviously they played one game and lost. And so that that ended their their season last year. You know, this year we we you know, next next year there will be a secondary tournament that will be managed um associated with the NCAA. Uh so that'll be different. The field won't be 64, it'll be mirroring the the NIT for the men. Um, you know, so that'll be more of a situation where you know you've really earned a postseason opportunity. This this is, you know, the, these this WNIT the way it's organized through Triple Crown is a is a, a manufactured opportunity. You know, the teams that that participate pay to play, uh, but again, I think it's a nice opportunity for the team to continue to play. They they uh, they really enjoy the opportunity to compete together, and and so you know when we sat down and talked about it, that's kind of where we arrived at. You know, let's do it again. Um, you know, but obviously, you know, we, we want to be in the NCAA tournament. And the only way you typically do that right now through 
the Mountain West on the women's side is you you earn the opportunity by winning the tournament as the automatic bid. So, um, you know, we we want to continue to grow the program, and this is an opportunity to do it. And and we're excited that the team gets to compete. Now, I know I know this is probably a better question for Ryan, but how how does the Mountain West change that from? I mean, we see it in the men's side where we have four bids uh, into the NCAA tournament, but we've been on a run in the Mountain West with just one team getting in on the women's side. And that includes, I want to say, what, three times where we won the conference championship but lost in the in the tournament and we didn't get in. How can we change that? You know, I really thought Ryan – I really think Ryan does a great job scheduling up in, in non-conference play. Is this something that's across the board? Is this something that we t- – you talk about with the, all the other athletic directors? We, yeah, we do. I mean, it's been a constant conversation since I entered the league eight years ago, and, and we'll continue to have that dialogue. You know, and, and before we were talking a lot about the men's pro teams as well. You know, what can we do to improve league play across uh, across the entire conference on the men's side? And, and I, I think it does, <clears throat> you know, involve investment and scheduling and and just figuring out a way to scratch and claw and get, you know, the, the league to elevate overall. And we've seen that happen on the men's side and we just got to continue the effort on the women's side. So yes, Mike, those, those conversations take place, uh, you know, routinely a couple times a year when we gather together, that's part of the agenda. And it's just, you know, strength top to bottom across the conference. And, and I think what's really helped us on the men's side, you know, this year to get four in and, and, and last year, you know, to, to do similar, is just the bottom half of the league has gotten so much better, um, and so you know you're you're not you're not losing ground during conference play, um, you know, because you can do a lot of creative things on the non-conference schedule to try and improve you know your overall RPI, but um, you know it it really has a lot to do with league play, and so we got to get better overall to elevate the women's side of the the basketball um, you know programs within the Mountain West. On the men's side, as Mike said, we've been getting, well, the last couple of years, four four teams have made the NCAA tournament. Got to win some games, and last night was not a good start. Nevada just looked awful. Um, I was hoping to wake up this morning and see that was a bad dream, but, man, they just did not perform well. I'm hope, hoping that's not a sign of what's to come for the, the rest of the three teams in the league, but can you explain to us again how um, – how those credits work. And obviously we, we want more wins because it brings more revenue to each school, but can you explain how that works? Yeah. Every, every game played earns a, a share, a unit. And I think uh, units are valued at about three, a little over $300,000. So yes, every time that a Mountain West team plays, every time that a Mountain West team earns to get an opportunity to play again is, is great for the conference. So those, those accumulate and then they're paid over, I think it's a seven year period. So it's, it's a long lasting impact on, on revenues. So it's important. You know, we talked a lot after last year, you know, it was great to get um, ourselves and others in the tournament, but yeah, the results weren't what we'd hoped for. So once you're in, you know, then the next step obviously is to, to win games, just to keep play going. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's tough, you know, the, you know, and everyone, everyone goes through this, you know, you finish the, the, the week of conference championships and then, and then bam, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're faced with probably the stiffest competition you're going to see all year almost when you enter the tournament. And, uh, you know, there's just such an emphasis on, 
on success because, you know, if you, if you can't grind your way through, you know, you're going home. So it's, it's intense. And I think it's more mental almost than physical, but certainly there's some things that play in physically and you, it's like anything, the more practice that you've had, the more that your team understands how to manage those moments, the better off you're going to be. Um, and so I think that's probably the next step that we're looking for within the Mountain West is, you know, you got to earn that first shot, but then you got to really get the mindset going where, where you're going to be fully prepared and, and just, you know, and, and grind until you get, until you get the victory. Did the um, participating teams get a bigger share or is it all equal across the board? Uh, it's what after, after you kind of take a little bit of out for, you know, any inexpenses that are uh, sort of associated with participation, then it's equal share. So it's, it's mostly equal share. How do the women's credits compare? Is it done the same way? Um, uh, they're, they're, you know, I'm, we've never had a conversation about that, Joel. So I, <laughs> I, I hate to reveal some level of ignorance, but it, it makes me think that there, you know, there may not be a whole lot of money to be distributed across the league because we don't have a lot of discussion about the women's. Gotcha. Well, we have to ask this one. Um, <clears throat> CSU was mentioned by longtime Pac-12 reporter John Canzano as a as being a university that the Pac-12 is including in its exploration of expansion. So that was kind of fun a couple weeks ago. Specifically named CSU as one of three known schools while he hadn't verified the fourth. Can you confirm anything on that? Um I think what I'm comfortable saying is what I'm always comfortable saying is, you know, we, we, we stated quite clearly, we, we have aspirations to always play at the highest level possible of FBS uh, football division one athletics. And, um, you know, we're going to welcome any opportunity to share our story. We think we've got a great story to tell. Um, I think there could be, you know, wonderful alignment between the PAC 12 and, and our campus. Um, I could say equally the same thing for the big 12. And I don't think, you know, if you if you study the history of college sports, you know, um, consolidation, uh, realignment, however you want to, uh, you know, describe it is always kind of a constant. You know, you just don't understand kind of the rhythm and frequency it's going to take place. But there's always, you know, a draw towards trying to uh, just change, I guess, really. But and I'll back up a little bit, too. We've talked about this, you know, that. I, and, I, and I really appreciate, I don't know if you were paying attention to what Mike Oresko um, at the American Athletic yes. Conference was saying uh, really repeatedly last week. And I, and I think we are at that point, you know, there's, you know, the A5, I mean, they, they, they worked hard to kind of create that differentiation, but there's so much differentiation occurring within that, those 65 schools right now and how they are aligned that, you know, I, I think we've got to kind of shed that nomenclature and just really focus on FBS football and the CFP because uh, we all now in 2024 will have a very clear path into the championship. Um, all of us, you know, if you're playing FBS football and you win a conference title and you're the, you know, one of the six highest ranked teams that have won that title, you're, you've earned the opportunity to play in the national championship format. And, and that, that can happen for us. That can happen for anyone. And, and because of that, you know, I think it, it the focus needs to be on just FBS football and trying to grow the enterprise across the United States coast to coast. I've never understood the rationale behind trying to differentiate and push P5 
people out or diminish the commitment the schools are making to playing at that level. Um, everyone sees differences. Iowa State looks a lot different than Ohio State, and and those differentiation points are going to continue. And um, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC did a remarkable thing with how they've aligned with their broadcasting partners, and they're going to get rewarded for the investment and traditions that they created on those campuses. And, um, you know, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the ACC just aren't going to look like the Big 12 or Big 10 and the SEC, as as the Mountain West isn't going to look like the, the Pac-12, you know. So it's just, you know, we all have to have pride in place and, and uh, do our very best to construct, you know, teams that win. And there's a lot of things that contribute to that, as we've seen, you know. I mean, it even in the world of NIL, I'm talking a lot, I'm rambling quite a bit, but... Um, you know, NIL is not the overall answer to sustained success. You know, we, we've, we've talked about what happened with Texas A&M and their football program. They invested probably more in NIL uh, this year than anyone else, and that earned them a loss to App State that probably has very little NIL um, spread across their, their roster. So, you know, we, we just we're going to focus on the things that we think are going to deliver competitive advantages to us. And that is really people. You know, I think we've got a great cohort of coaches across the board and, and uh, you know, we're adequately resourced to compete in our immediate peer group of the mountain West. And, and we want people to support that effort. And you brought up a lot of great points. You just wish that there was more of a vision from the powers that be over the years leading college football to grow the game, not just look after each individual school and certain conferences, you know, they just created this huge divide and, and they didn't have the entire best interest of, of all FBS schools. So frustrating to say the least, but um, it, it is. And you point that out, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're thinking about, you know, who, you know, yes, we compete against each other, but we compete against other sports entertainment enterprises that are, that are trying to take, you know, market share away from us. So in my opinion, you ought to have every community, regardless of its size, that's invested in FBS football, caring about FBS football and figuring out a way to help the enterprise grow. You know, it, it seems really short-sighted if you think all you're competing with is each other because, you know, the NFL fights every day for their their uh, uh, eyeballs and their content. And the same happens for the NBA and the MLB and, and every sports league out there. So uh, WNBA otherwise, you know, so I mean, I, I think we ought to lock arms and walk this thing forward together. That At least that's my attitude. A couple other questions on the this whole Pac-12 thing. The, the big argument that you'd see from even our own fans was like, why would the Pac-12 look in CSU's direction when they already have CU? I mean, that's the whole, the whole shift in in the, with these conferences is to bring in new markets for TV dollars and whatnot and to boost their valuations. And why would the PAC 12 bring in a CSU from a market that they may already have within CU? Is that, is that something that makes sense to you or is it, is there really value in pairing up rivals from uh, a similar market? You, you just said it. Pairing up rivals is what it's all about. Joel, um, you know, you know, wasn't public, but I'm fine to talk about it. You know, we're, we're playing CU this year in Boulder uh, week three. Uh, you know, it, it's it's their game. So their broadcasting partners get a chance to capture that content and share it with their audience. 
And, and there was a lot of effort um, on the part of Fox and, and the Pac-12 and CU to, to move that game into week zero. And we were open to exploring that. And the only reason they wanted to do that is because it's, it's a game that people care about. And if we're really honest, and I know that, you know, that, you know, everyone has their opinion and, and, you know, CU people have their opinion, we've got ours, but that is the the week where college football is probably talked about more than any other week uh, in the state of Colorado. It, it's meaningful and it has meaning in the region and it has meaning across the nation. And so I don't know, you know, when you've got when you have a natural rivalry, and I know people probably on the CU side don't like it to be described that way, but but it is, you know. I mean, when you've got two high quality institutions that sit less than an hour apart um, and compete, and whenever we do, you know, guess what? Stadiums fill up, arenas sell out, and it's it's a hotly contested contest, and and uh, you know, so you know, this year they, they worked really hard to, to find a way to drop it into week zero. As I said, we were very open to that. The one thing we told them we couldn't do if, if we moved out of week three, we've got a bye week in week two. Um, you know, we didn't want to have our football program idle for two full weeks. And so we said, that's a non-starter for us. And there wasn't any way for them to kind of manufacture a conference game into one of those two weeks. And so because of that, we had to step away from the opportunity, but but, you know, that was brought to CU by their broadcasting partners. So, you know, tell me you can't discount the fact that there's a rivalry game that that national TV is interested in putting on 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 the air. Was that was that one of the reasons why we pulled out of uh, our conversations with the AAC uh, a couple of years ago that we wouldn't have those rivalries that we have? In the mountain and it, it wouldn't be offset by the amount of dollars that we would have received. Uh, there was a lot of reasons why we kind of dialed down those conversations. I mean, you know, again, you know, we're, we're going to pursue what we believe is every opportunity to play at the highest level. And, you know, with, with, um, you know, shifts in conference alignment, you know, it made sense when there was four of us within the mountain West talking about that possibility, analyzing whether it would make sense for us, um, you, you know, and then when it became, a little less attractive for all four to kind of slide in, you know, then, then we, we, you know, we, we decided to lock arms and, and get focused on solidarity within the mountain West. I think that's proved to be the right decision for us. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, you know, we've talked about this too. It's, it's geography. You know, we sit in the Western United States. I love the fact that I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, but, you know, once you get West of the Mississippi, you know, there's, you know, the, the concentration of people is, is fewer and, you know, the sun's always going to move. <laughs> it's going to, you know, there's going to be a rotation of the earth around the sun. That's going to dictate the time zones and the way the sun moves. And so, you know, those, the, the East coast and central time zones are going to be the first to capture broadcast windows. And then we're going to, we're going to get it next. And then it hits Pacific and, and we're done, you know, the, the day's over, but um, you know, so there's just things that you have to naturally accept because of, you know, where we're at and who we are. You hear all of these conversations are happening at the presidential level. All these de decisions are being made at the president level. So when there are conversations, is it you kind of leading the way and bringing in Amy Parsons, Tony Frank, or are they in conversations with presidents potentially at other conferences or is it everybody and it's i you know 
I would say, Joel, this is just a general description. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of all hands on deck. Um, you know, it, it's, it's trying to, um, you know, connect with trusted relationships to have conversations that give you some insight and level of understanding of what, what might be happening. Um, and it's, it's also trying to find the best and most appropriate people to share and tell your story. And, and I will say this, it is phenomenal to have President Parsons on board and working on behalf of this university. Uh, you know, she's been here six weeks and uh, her level of engagement has been absolutely extraordinary. And it's it's nice to have someone that is uh, willing to really um, recognize the value of intercollegiate athletics here at CSU um, and, and trying to, you know, promote the university in every way, but also recognizing that athletics can play a huge role in that. So Amy's been, um, her bandwidth has been unbelievable to witness. She, uh, I don't think she's missed uh, uh, an athletic contest since she started on February 1st. Well, that's probably not entirely accurate, but just by way of example, she she came out to Vegas to catch a game and then had to return to Denver for an event and came back the very next morning to make sure that she saw the next opportunity for the men to play. And, and that, that, that's not easy to do. And that's, you know, that's, you know, it, that was her choice. And, and, you know, it was just amazing to see her, her uh, make that commitment and, you know, clear her calendar to be available whenever she, she can be. In your crystal ball, do you have an, any ideas on what, you think is going to happen with the Pac-12 as far as their TV deal? Do you think they're going to get a, a deal that is in the ballpark of the Big 12? Do you think that league can stay together despite all the reports of their demise? And and um, do you think the Big 10, we've kind of touched on this, it, you don't necessarily think the Big 10 is done, but do you think that they might still look at poaching the Pac-12? And uh I, I think there's a lot of things that are going to play out. The one thing that I'm, I'm, you know, it's hard to define is what what timeline, you know, and what sequence do things occur? Um, you know, from what I've understood from conversations and, you know, insights provided to me, I think there's an absolutely strong desire on the part of the PAC-12 to, to remain intact. Um, they, they, they appreciate the the history of the conference. They appreciate the alignment of values of the conference, and I and I think they really feel like they can achieve um, adequate financials to you know to to not create any incentive for schools to leave. Um, but you know, but you know, you saw UCLA and 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 SC make a difficult choice and and that was all about money but the money was significantly different um you know they they nearly came close to doubling what what they would be uh recognizing through a continued relationship within the pac-12 so i i think you know in the next obviously people said next you know probably 30 days um or less you know we can expect uh some some decision related to the broadcasting uh contract extension for for the pac-12 and 
you know, I, I, I don't know, crystal ball, I guess they, they, they find a way to stay together. Um, and then, and then once they've done that, then they'll have to really finish their analysis of whether, whether it makes sense to try, and, <laughs> try and grow. And, and that's the one thing that I haven't been able to quite dissect is it, um, you know, broadcasting partners that the numbers are their numbers, you know, they, they own the broadcasting rights for any one of us that sits outside uh, any of those leagues right now for a significant discount on what they're paying those schools. So, you know, what, no one feels good about paying more for something that they already have in their portfolio. So I, that's the one thing I've never really understood is, you know, if, if the PAC 12 is able to expand, you know, how can they create, you know, a, 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 a pro rata share for anyone that they would be inviting that, that the networks have already. Uh, but then, you know, the biggest thing, Joel is and Mike, um, you know, the, 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 the Big Ten is without, you know, active executive leadership. You know, they've got their board in place, uh, but they're going to hire a commissioner and that commissioner is going to come in and make their assessment of of what they want to try and do to stabilize, you know, the Big Ten for the future. And, you know, it's they're the most stable league out there next to the SEC. So, you know, will they look west again? Um, I think they'll probably try and absorb, you know, the the scheduling requirements for two East Coast or West Coast schools and and understand those impacts. And then at that point in time, they'll make a very informed decision as to whether they need to, you know, create some uh, balance and scheduling partners for those West Coast schools. And I think that's when the next le level of vulnerability hits for the Pac-12. And is that... Is that in two years, three years, five years? I don't know. But I, I think there's going to be a constant effort towards consolidation. Last question on this, but um, the Big 12 has been openly talking about poaching Pac-12 schools, which is just bizarre to me. Um, and you had Bill Self say in the media the other day that he's openly saying that they should target specifically Arizona, and I think he said CU as well. And just hearing commissioners and coaches now kind of crossing that threshold, it's always kind of been sacred behind the scenes. And here you have them talking in the media about how they're really wanting to go after the four corner schools, for instance. So um, it, I think that we've touched on this before where you, you believe there's probably going to be a consolidation of into a two or three massive conferences, but how is that good for college athletics in your opinion? I kind of touched on earlier today, but, um, but it, is, do you see that being good in any way for for college athletics? Uh, I you know I, I I think in the best case scenario you know we we try and keep as many play, people playing FBS football as possible. But you know I, again I think the, the you know market forces always prove that consolidation is is where momentum kind of carries economic momentum carries people. Uh, so I I don't know you know I. I, I think Brett Yarmark has been um, a great hire for the Big 12. You know, when you think about where they were, um, you know, to get out in the market in front of the Pac-12 to get their deal done, you know, to create, you know, some some solidarity and, and some, um, you know, stability in the league has really allowed them to to take a position where they can be you know, really aggressive and and contemplate, you know, every option for growth. And I think that's, you know, I, you know, I think that was just genius in so many ways. 
with, with all the stuff that we've seen the last couple of years, is there anything that's potentially in violation of like antitrust laws and monopolies? <laughs> um, you know, it just seems like the, the, the couple of big conferences are hoarding all of the power and money and in, in their own pockets. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I think there's, there's always risk, right? But I think as long as there's a pathway for everyone that states they want to participate in FBS football to find their way into the championship, I think that that reduces the, the risk. And, and so I, I hope that there's always a level of connectivity to the CFP, you know, um, and, and the way they've constructed it, which, you know, it was the commissioners who put it together. Um, you know, I think they're, they're keeping that pathway open for, for everyone. And I think that's, that, that will be something they can point to, you know, that, that would, you know, probably lessen the possibilities of a, of a antitrust case coming up. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, Craig Thompson, you know, I, I know, you know, leadership, everyone has opinion about leadership, uh, but, but Craig created an, an extraordinary level of value for not just the Mountain West, but every school that was, you know, not categorized as an A5 because he had relationships that I think really allowed the dialogue that occurred in those rooms as they thought about not only the BCS, but, you know, the, the, the CFP um, that, that really connect, kept connectivity. And he was always that voice that, that fought for the opportunity and, and, uh, the pathway. And, you know, he was respected by everyone in that room. Um, you know, he had, lifelong career relationships with all of those people and you know i mean to me that was that was the extraordinary value that craig delivered to the mountain west and not only the mountain west but but fbs football well one of the talking points with the pac-12 and in their tv deal is the fact that they may be real streaming heavy potentially <laughs> they've had reports of uh, prime video amazon and uh, apple tv is think which has dropped out apparently but um anyway both both of those streaming services wanting to get in and, and potentially putting a lot of games on in the pac-12 on streaming how do you weigh in on the value of streaming and having the right balance between linear tv and and streaming and in one respect i think for us it'd be nice if, if we were being streamed like we do when, we, when we're on the mountain west network you can better determine your kickoff times but um you also want to get that exposure on regular TV, right? So, um, and have your brand be seen. So how do you view all of that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, my thoughts are probably contributing exactly what conversations happen almost in every sports bar or, you know, cluster of friends that care about, you know, particular, uh, you know, college football program. Um, you know, there, there's obviously, you know, as you pointed out, you know, there's, there's some real benefits to going streaming. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to be able to just say our games are, you know, 2 p.m. kick every, well, Chris likes, actually Chris Ferris likes 5 p.m.s, but then I get the rationale for that too. But, you know, sometime between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. I think is is the ideal time for us to put the ball in the air. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, then of course, you know, there are, there are a lot of, Households and users that that love to be able to pick up their remote and just do exactly what they've done for the last thirty years and point it at a TV and you know go through 
you know, their, their uh, programming guide and, and, you know, find ESPN and Fox and, and CBS sports and CBS um, big CBS and, and watch games. Right. And, and so you, you, you have to have a balance, but at some point I think we're, we're going to move, you know, as we all know, you know, many of us have already, you know, contemplated cutting the cord or cut the cord from a traditional cable system and, and it's becoming much, much easier to navigate with smart TVs, you know, into different platforms. And so, you know, eventually it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna really matter as much, um, you know, but I think what you do lose is just that casual person who's kind of just flipping through the channel and, and for whatever reason, you know, zeroes in on, on your game and, and may not otherwise have been watching if, if they hadn't done that. So, you know, I probably provided an answer that anyone could provide, Joel. But you know, I think that's that's what the beauty of college sports is about. You know, everyone's got an opinion that they can share, and it and it and it can uh, be justified in a lot of ways. Yeah. Let me pause real quick and tell you about Ginger and Baker. You should ward off that freezing cold chill outside with a great dinner inside at the Cash, where you can enjoy fine steaks and chops, good whiskey, or select something from their award-winning wine list. Or for a more casual outing, check out the cafe with a wide offering of American comfort food classics. Ginger and Baker also features a coffee shop, event spaces, a market, and a teaching kitchen. This month, some of your options in the teaching kitchen are learning to make ravioli from scratch, some brunch favorites, cooking a perfect steak, and even learn how to make Cuban cocktails. A bunch more options out there. Check out gingerandbaker.com calendar for a full list. This place is amazing, guys. Support our friend, Ginger Graham, and treat yourself to a world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, so recently, in the news, it, it, it's been talked about a lot. Texas Tech just parted ways with, with Mark Adams over some issues with racial bias. A few months ago, Texas uh, University of Texas parted ways with Chris Beard after a domestic violence uh, arrest. And then last week, he just got hired by Ole Miss, or earlier this week, he just got hired by Ole Miss, so it was in the news again. Now, you've had to deal with a few coaching changes that weren't necessarily based on wins and losses or what was happening on the court. Now, I know you can't provide specific details, but as an AD, when – something like this happens what's the process on that you know i i know i know the people at texas tech really well um you know so they, i think you know from a thirty thousand foot view you know i, I you know the, there is an expectation every place that i've worked including here that you know we're going to value respectful relationships you know we want people that that uh you know that that understand that that um you know, that, that, you know, if you've got status, that, that means that it comes with more obligations to, to treat everyone that you encounter with appropriately and with respect. And when you run into situations where that doesn't happen, um, you know, you hope that people, you know, through a little bit of guidance or when you point that out, that they can self-correct and manage to a, a better level of interaction. Um, you know, but when you reach that point, uh, you know, where, where people aren't responding to that feedback or, or you have just a, a critical, crucial moment where, where, you know, where trust is so disrupted that you have to 
make a change. I mean, you you make that decision, but there's a really clear framework about how, how it's going to be managed through, you know, an employment agreement. And that's that's for, to protect both parties and, and the interest of both parties. And you've predetermined, you've pre-agreed pretty much how, how you're going to handle it. Um, you know, but, but, you know, it looked like to me that Texas Tech was able to negotiate, you know, a, a, a settlement that was a little less financially painful um, than what was actually articulated in the contract. And, and sometimes, you know, there's, you know, a little bit of leverage when, when you've got, you know, that unfortunate moment and, you know, you don't want to have a protracted drawn out experience. So you, you find an expeditious way to get to the end, so to speak. And, and then, uh, you know, then, then you get to, you know, pivot onto the next moment. And and that's certainly where Texas tech is at, you know, um, you know, the hiring decision of old Miss, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know what the circumstances and what their pool looked like and what led them to coach Beard, but, but, you know, and, and I certainly, you know, I mean, I know as much as anyone else does about what may have occurred in Austin for him with, you know, with his relationship, but, um, you know, it's hard to comment much beyond that, Mike, you know, I, I know that, that, you know, I've got a, a set of, values that I bring to work every day and I try and, uh, you know, work to those values. And, and the last thing I ever want to do is compromise those values because that, that makes it really difficult to go to bed at night and comfortably put your head on the pillow and know that you've done the right thing for everyone around you. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I know, I know it guides my decisions and, and I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm going to stay focused on trying to get people here that are, that are, you know, uncompromised in their integrity and how they approach every relationship that they have in their life. Hey, do you know, we always hear these commercials when you tap into the varsity network and listen to women's basketball games or men's basketball games, the, uh, the Learfield, Learfield Directors Cup. Do you guys have goals around that at all? I know that as I look at some of the recent history, we were 67th after the fall uh, semester, second behind uh, Utah State in the conference uh, last year, 2021, 2022 season, we were finished tied for 106th in the country, uh, fourth in the Mountain West. So is this stuff that you guys track and use this as kind of a, an overall strength of athletic department metric? Um, our, our bigger focus is conference championships. Um, you know, when you look at the director's cup, they take the top 10 teams on the women's side within your department, the top 10 teams on the men's side. Um, you know, we don't even have 10 teams that compete right. on the men's side. So, you know, we, we're, you know, we, we enter that type of competition with, you know, really a hand tied behind our back. So it's, you know, is it nice to be, you know, to be recognized if, if we're having a, a great extraordinary year where we've had, you know, strong national performance? Yes. But, you know, I, I don't look at that as the ultimate measure of success within our department. You know, we, we've talked a lot about how championship culture needs to align with earning conference championships. And we've done uh, really well at that, you know, standing second in the league only to San Diego State. And, you know, I look at last year, we had two teams that finished with conference championships and, and six teams that finished runner up and probably three or four of those six uh, or, uh, you know, only less than a handful of points out of earning the trophy itself. So, 
you know, I, I kicked the, you know, proud of what we did last year, but it, it's also, you know, how you just kick yourself because, you know, that would have probably put us well ahead of San Diego State. And and that's, you know, that's what we want to be. We've always want to be recognized as a preeminent program in the Mountain West. And, uh, you know, and conference titles is, is really how we're going to, you know, use the, me the measuring stick. Gotcha. So the NCAA Swimming and Diving Championships are this week. Uh, CSU had diver Jessica Albana representing the Rams. Um, we had a very strong team, especially in the Mountain West. We had seven seven of our uh, ladies finish uh, receiving 10 Mountain West awards. Um, I know that at one point we were on a 23-match unbeaten streak. Um, but we only had one in, in the NCAA Championships. You know, everyone knows your history. You were a swimmer yourself. What's the difference between, like, what we're seeing with March Madness and, and the conference tournaments and teams getting in based on that as opposed to where we have a team that dominates in the Mountain West, but we're not getting that. We we don't have that same access to the NCAAs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, swimming's a sport that I, you know, had my own personal experience in and, and, you know, it, you, you qualify based on time. Uh, so there's a time standard that, that, you know, allows students to advance to the NCAA championship meet. And, and then, you know, if you get a lot of individuals or relays that, that meet that standard and then they participate and score, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's what's what aggregates up to, to, you know, a team score. And that's how when we when we swim the Mountain West championship meet, um, you know, that's exactly how that meet is scored too. just, you know, identical to what they do for the NCAA. So, you know, I'm proud of what our what we've accomplished and swimming. You know, our our measure always is, you know, where do we place in conference? You know, it, it's nice to win dual meets. Um, you know, one of the things that we've kind of assessed, though, is uh, and, it, and it's a function of where we're at, too. You know, we you know, we, we compete regionally within dual meets or your, your, your swimming programs that are, you know, closer within striking distance of you. Um, and, and, you know, so I'm happy that we've finished the majority of those contests over the last couple of years, uh, on the, on the high side of the win. Um, but, uh, swimming is also a program that, that hasn't been able to really challenge itself and schedule, schedule, you know, high performing a fives. Um, and then I was just chastising everyone for using that terminology. But <laughs> if you look at, you know, our, our tennis program, softball track and field um you know our golf programs uh men and women's basketball volleyball football you know all of our programs uh probably with the exception of swimming have been able to put together much more competitive non-conference and even conference schedules and and so you know i'm excited that they've finished you know, undefeated for the majority of the time that they've competed in the last two years plus. Uh, but, you know, we got to the conference championship meet and we finished seventh. And the expectation we try and set for all of our programs is that we want to be top three. So, you know, we'll, we haven't had a chance to really sit down and discuss at length with Woody, but I think there's some things that we can do over time to start nudging that program forward and, and, and really truly, you know, winning at a higher level um, uh, you know, because if, if we get, if we gave total autonomy to, 
to the basketball programs to do their scheduling, which, you know, we, we let them drive the, the bus pretty much, but um, you know, they're, they're also trying to get into postseason play in the NCAA. So they know that they've got to really challenge themselves from an RPI perspective, but um, as we all know, there's ways to manufacture wins. All right. Uh, you, you mentioned um, tennis and, and golf. I know right now golf was ranked 20th. They moved up and, and um, tennis is, I want to say 44th last, last earlier this week. What are you seeing in, in those programs that we keep getting elevated, you know, almost on a weekly basis? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've we've got great leadership in those programs. Uh, you know, Miley Tran and women's tennis has been awesome. Um, you know, she she fortunately inherited a, a really strong roster, but has been able to really get those students you know, directed towards, you know, achieving as a team um, and has been able to recruit, you know, some new new students to the to uh, to the roster. You know, Laura Selick and golf has done a nice job. You know, she was a first time head coach when she onboarded with us. And the first couple seasons were were, you know, for her even self-admittedly pretty rough. You know, it, it's hard when when you just don't have strong alignment on the roster. And, and there was you know, some good kids that she inherited, but kids that weren't really totally uh, invested in in her approach. And, you know, you've got to get commit kids that are committed and compelled and, and really believe in the vision that you're creating. And so a few years later now, when, when she's managed the roster and has, you know, really students that have bought into her vision on there, you know, you see a lot of progress being made. Uh, you know, Michael Wilson and in, in men's golf, you know, we, you know, Christian left the program in a in a healthy way, but you know he's come in with new concepts, new ideas. You know, a, a slightly different approach to leadership and how he wants to, you know, um, you know, ma manufacture you know culture within his roster, and those kids are responding to it. So it's, you know, it's it's in a, and you, you got to applaud. You know, we haven't even mentioned, but I think since the last time we talked, we've won a conference championship and and women's indoor track. So, you know, we have pause and celebrate moments and that's surely one of them. I mean, that's awesome for them to do that. And, uh, and, you know, they had the, the intention to win that meet and they, they went, you know, down to Albuquerque and did just that. The men wanted to do that themselves and they finished, you know, runner up behind air force. Um, another point to be made about president Parsons. So, you know, as soon as that conference championship was achieved, uh, the very next thing she said to me is, do you think they'd enjoy coming to the Magnolia house to, to celebrate with me? You know, that is Amy. Um, and I said, absolutely. So she's scheduled to have the entire women's uh, championship roster at the Magnolia house for an evening. And that, that'll be really exciting for those students and the staff as well. And a, and a great reward and wonderful to have, you know, the highest level of leadership at our university recognize that achievement. Love hearing that. That's great. That is cool. Um, you've been seeing a lot more advertising, a lot more promotion on this with our spring seasons for volleyball and soccer. This is something that's really just seemed like it's been happening over the last few last few years, almost similar to what we see in spring football. So, how important is it for for our programs to have these off, uh, you know, the off season games and matches? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's really important to the development of your program. Um, so, uh, you know, so we, 
we, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't notice that you were noticing any difference. I, I feel like we've always kind of promoted, you know, any opportunity our teams get to compete, but yes, Mike, they're, they're important to the individual development of, of players. And it's really important to the development of the overall team. And, and, um, you know, I know that, that, uh, you know, volleyball and soccer, you know, this spring are really embracing the opportunity to, to get better as is football. You know, we're, we're on spring break right now, but when everyone returns this weekend and, you know, things go live on Monday, you know, they're, they're going to use every opportunity through spring ball to, to grow and develop and, and get prepared for what's ahead. You know, once we start playing football in the fall of 23. I understand you got a grand opening coming up for the softball complex. Can you tell us more about that and um, tell us some more features of, of what that the new complex entails, what the fans and players will enjoy there? Yeah. You know, I, I get the benefit of looking out my window and seeing all progress made. Um, and softball is nearing completion. Uh, there's still still quite a bit of work to be done. Um, mainly the one thing people will see that that won't be completed is we won't have a press box um, uh, when when the game against San Diego State starts tomorrow. So we, we do have a series this weekend, and uh, <clears throat> but we've identified April 1st when we play UNLV uh, 6 p.m. first pitch, that will be what we've identified as kind of the grand opening for the facility. And that will be the first time ever that we play a softball game under the lights on the CSU campus. So huge historic moment. Um, and, and what will people see? I mean, they'll see a, a totally refreshed, in many ways, brand new facility sited in the same location. Obviously, the field orientation didn't change. We didn't have to do any work on the infield or outfield, but everything that's behind home plate, um, the, the dugouts, um, the grandstand, uh, you know, a, a burned, you know, lead up to the to the concourse where you'll download into your seats, uh, the field lighting that I mentioned already, uh, bullpens, um, you know, it was pretty much a scrape and a, and a total rebuild. And and the, the dugouts are impressive. I mean, they're probably three times as large as what we had out there before. There's a restroom for the home team. There's a restroom for the visiting team. Um, the, the netting system is probably one of my favorite features. You know, we used to have a chain link backstop and, you know, it was a distraction, I think, for spectators. The, the new netting system is you know, it, it just, you hardly even see it. It just, you know, as you watch, uh, you don't notice it being there and it's almost absolutely seamless. So, you know, we're, we're proud of it. I think the team's really excited about it. They've been practicing in the facility. So even through construction, we've been able to manage the project in such a way that they've had ac access to the field and, and every day they complete more and more of the detail. And, and, uh, so that, you know, landscaping won't be in, um, you know, final signage won't be in place and the press box won't be there, but, but otherwise it will be a fully functioning facility and, and people can experience it beginning tomorrow and through the weekend. And then April 1st will be the grand opening. Ooh, April 1st under the lights could be a chilly one. Hopefully fingers crossed for some decent weather. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Um, but, you um, know, and then soft soccer, you know, that's the other piece I'm looking out on that right now, you know, it seems like for about 
six months, all they've been really doing is moving dirt, but I know there's been more progress <laughs> with that. Uh, they've got light poles up and they've got a foundation end for the team building and and there will be two brand new natural grass fields mike so you'll you would <laughs> you would be able to do cartwheels you know across that whole thing you could do pencil rolls if you wanted to you could do whatever you want yeah i could still do cartwheels i demonstrate them when i teach my gymnastics unit all right shockingly <laughs> Yeah, and you just stole my last question. I was going to ask you about the soccer complex, but great to hear that those piles of dirt are moving back and forth. Yeah, and then and then uh, we've already started demo on phase two of the Apocalypse <clears throat> and Moby. So, you know, we, we've made a, a huge investment in women's athletics here, and we're excited about these new facilities supporting those teams. That's awesome. Uh, last question, Joe. Uh, saw on social media with um, John Weber tweeting about the – uh, Tory Horton NIL deal where he's going to be a spokesperson for a local car dealership and uh, believe he has earned himself a vehicle. I would thoughts on that. It's kind of cool. I think it just kind of is a nice announcement to what prospective recruits could achieve here potentially. Right. Is that, is that most of all, it, it, it's great for Tory, but it's also uh, and great for the business, but because kind of makes a statement that, Hey, we are, we're making strides here. We're a player in NIL space. Yeah. You know, there, there there's a, a, you know, there's many people that, that help advance the mission of CSU athletics. And, um, you know, I, I include you and Mike in that, that category of, of special people that's really, you know, have really pursued a passion and, and helped, you know, us tell our story and, and, you know, engage others. And I, I have to give, you know, huge kudos to to John Weber. If if there weren't a John Weber who attended our business school and graduated in the early '90s and gone on to have a remarkable career, and then decided that he wanted to make Fort Collins home with his wife Julie, and then also, you know, decided to get uber engaged with CSU athletics and recognized that that uh, with the changing landscape of college sports and this whole name, image, and likeness, and then the resulting collectives, you know, if he hadn't stood up and made a, a, a very affirming effort on his part to create a collective that would benefit our student athletes, we would be dead in the water. And so I can't, you know, I, I'm making a direct appeal to anyone who's going to listen to this podcast that if, if you have ever felt there was a moment that you wanted to get involved and help CSU athletics, there is now a direct way to do it to support student athletes. And the conduit to do that is what John has set up and that is the green and gold guard. And, um, you know, it, it's wonderful that he's been able to create those opportunities. And, you know, you pointed out what, what happened for Tory this week. And that, that fills a genuine need that, that young man came to campus, didn't have a vehicle, um, you know, had to make a choice to live closer to campus because he, you know, he didn't have options for transportation and that levers up, you know, his, his, you know, rent requirement. And it made it really difficult for him, you know, to kind of manage, you know, on, on his stipend. And, and I think that's, that's the beauty of NIL is that, you know, we can um, now it is permissible to allow student athlete to fill gaps, you know, to, to take their name image and likeness to the market 
um, find a partner and and fill fill a hole, you know, financially for them. And that's exactly what was intended by NL, NIL. And that's exactly what's happened with um, the Green and Gold Guard and the, and the work that John's done. And, and, you know, I'm thrilled that he was able to get that accomplished for Tori. And, and yeah, then there's the residual benefit of that's a story that gets told. And if you come to our campus and you distinguish yourself and you build, you know, some level of notoriety, then there's, there's opportunities in this community to, to capitalize on that. I want to say something to a few of our listeners who are belittling this gift to Tori Horton. If, if you think it's whatever, step up and give something bigger. So <laughs> uh, just blows my mind that we actually have fans that were talking smack about this gift and not a gift. This this agreement between Tori Horton and uh, Markley Motors, um, that's it. There's always going to be a few of those, Michael. They're got to question what kind of fans they really are. So, well, Joe, uh, thank you very much as always. Great to see you. Great to talk to you. Yep, guys. Appreciate your time and always the opportunity to visit with both of you. So go Rams. Go Rams. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And for all your support, thank you to Joe Parker for spending an hour with us, as always, and for all the great insights. Good luck to the Lady Rams this evening against you and I. Have a good one. Go Rams.